Hello, I'm Alex McDougald, and this is INSEAD in Conversation With, a podcast series in which our guests share their stories, thoughts, and insights with us. In this episode, I'm with Horatio Falcao, a professor of management practice at INSEAD, whose teaching and research focuses on the art and science of negotiation. Professor Falcao is the Program Director of the Negotiation Dynamics Program, and he is the co-creator of the Online Certificate in Negotiation and the Advanced Certificate in Negotiation. Professor Falcao argues that negotiation is part of everyday life, and it's a skill that can be honed, learned, and improved upon just like any other. So Horatio, thank you very much for taking the time to be with me today. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting. I wanted to open our conversation um, really with quite a strong statement that you often make that negotiation is part of everyday life. Does that mean then that we are all expert negotiations or seasoned negotiators without actually realizing it? Well, thanks, Alex. And this indeed is a sentence I say a lot, and not just me, like many other negotiation professionals, academics, experts in the field say something similar. Uh, Basically, think about it this way. When we were planning on having this podcast, you had to first negotiate with me to get me excited about the project. Then we had to negotiate uh, the scope of it. Then we had to negotiate even some of the questions, not all of them, but at least some to align our thinking and where we were going. We had to then negotiate the time of it, uh, so forth and so on. And so notice how even something that could seem quite simple, like just running a podcast, engages so many negotiations, so many interactions between the two of us. And then I did this with you. In the morning, I had to negotiate with my wife. At the evening, when my kids come, I have to negotiate about their homework or maybe about taking a shower or even brushing their teeth before going to bed. It's just all over. And, And so that's how we like to invite people to think about negotiation. We engage with a lot of people. And then sometimes these conversations might sound very simple. Like when you said, Horacio, would you like to do a podcast? And within one or two sentences of explaining what it actually meant, I was like, yeah, that, that sounds exciting. That was an easy negotiation because to some extent we were aligned. But it could have been equally like, no, I don't want to do it. And you would have to kind of pile on more arguments or sweeten the deal for me in a way for me to actually come and join. And so... Again, the fact that it was easy doesn't mean that it was not a negotiation, but many times because it's easy, we don't process as if it were a negotiation. And so when you engage in these conversations, we want you to think about negotiation as if anytime you're engaging in any exercise of persuasion, convincing or influencing someone to do something for you or with you. And if you start thinking negotiation that way, what you're gonna see is that you negotiate pretty much every time you interact with someone else in let's say a non-leisurely way, right? So if if you're just kind of having a cup of tea or a beer with someone, okay, maybe that's not a negotiation. But the moment you're at work and you try to get something done together, there might be differences in style, in goals and others, and some adjustment happens and that we call a negotiation. So it's not just a contractual transaction or the price conversation. Everything else around it is also an exercise in persuasion, convincing, influencing, therefore negotiation. My next question to you would be then, if it's something that's part of everyday life, it sounds like it, it's, a, it's a skill that could be learned like any other skill. And it's a case of through learning, taking that unconscious, subconscious knowledge, if you like, and making it you aware and conscious of, of the fact that you are negotiating every day and improving those skills bit by bit through practice and being aware 
of the of the situation that you're in. Well, well put, and, and indeed as a follow up, because when we try to help people understand that negotiation is pretty much everywhere and you engage in it every day multiple times, is in a way us academics or professors, teachers, and others try to help you appreciate a bit more how present it is in, around you so that you can then wake up to the fact that you're doing it and become a little bit more deliberate about it. And, and in sports, there's this expression called deliberate practice, which is what I would like to invite you to consider going forward if you want to improve as a negotiator, which is not just if imagine you want to get good at playing tennis. You don't just go and hit the wall thousands of times every day without thinking about how you hit the ball, because otherwise, Two years later, you'll just be hitting the ball the same way. Maybe you're going to be stronger and faster, but you'll be hitting the same way. So deliberate practice involves you hitting the ball a few times, stopping for a quick while and going, what was good about it? What could improve? And then hitting a few more, trying to change one thing there to see if you can get a little better. And then, so you might hit the same 1,000 balls at the end of the day. It might take a little bit more time in trying to look into how it went well and the difference that at the end of these 1,000 balls, you're going to be hitting the ball significantly better, and it's going to start to become also muscle memory, which can also happen with negotiation. Given the fact that this is a skill that can be learned, I think there's a lot of people who think that they're a natural-born negotiator, just like we think there are naturally good communicators. Do you think even those natural-born negotiators did start from a point where they also had to learn? For now, just, just take the side of what I've mentioned so far. So you can do it every day. We have experience. How do we become an expert? Is it, and, and that deliberate practice and the muscle memory? Well, because it can be learned. It's, it's learnable. It's, there is a science to negotiation. And so there are advices and behavioral advices and strategic and cognitive issues that you can work on that will definitely make you better. That will make you better consistently also. And that will make you better across the board in many different negotiation situations. So definitely it is a learnable skill. Now, much like if you think about Picasso, the artist, like you may or not like his styles or his different styles uh, throughout his uh, career. And yet he's a master of his trade. And, and, and having gone to school and having learned those tricks and those techniques and following his mentors and taking advice and feedback from others, he was able to hone his craft to a point that he was able to express his talent in a superior way. And so this is how I would like to invite those who think I'm low on talent, I'm high on talent. At the end of the day, sure, could that be an element of talent? Some people are more inclined. Yeah, but negotiation is a poly skill, let's call it. It's a multi-layered skill. So if someone is a good communicator, in a sense that they can argue things very well, that works for them. Others could be very good at listening. That also can work for them. And maybe one might not be both at a very high level talent-wise. And so if you're good at one talent-wise, you can work on the other as the deliberate practice level. And so that's how a deliberate practice person will probably overcome eventually the pure talented one because there's so many different skills that you need to be a superior negotiator that with time actually that dedication the seeking to transform the experience into expertise will very likely make you surpass most other people who negotiate on a daily basis and so that's what we try to do when you come into a classroom for example is to start giving you those tools so that you can continue even after the classroom to work on yourself and hopefully with the science and the practice, overcome whatever level of talent or let it blossom if you already have a high talent 
to begin with. Really interesting because I mean, the, the fact that it's a polyskilled practice, I think a lot of people would say, I must go into X, Y, Z things to win or to have a successful outcome, but it's much more nuanced than just looking at a piece of paper and saying, right, this, this, this. Yeah. So I get sometimes the question, if I'm getting it correctly, which is like, what's a great negotiation profile? What's the perfect negotiator profile? And I'm like, there isn't one because there are billions of people on the planet. And out of those, many of them are really, really good negotiators, some with some training, some without. And so who am I to say you need to negotiate only this way? What I like to do is to give tools and advice that will work more often than not. But for example, if I give a brush to different painters, they might paint one a very classical painting, the other one a very modern painting, and both are beautiful. The classical painting requires some different skills, more precision sometimes, more patience, more detail orientation. The modern art might require more creativity. It might require a a different sensitivity to forms, a little bit more abstract thinking both great painters in their own right. And so some people will say being assertive is very good. Others will say being patient is very good. Some will say that speaking, um, the listening is very good. Others will say that asking more questions is very good. It turns out that it's usually a combination of factors that respects who you are. So trying to play somewhat, going back to the question of talent, Think about it as strengths and weaknesses. We we all have our, our mix of strengths and weaknesses. As a good negotiator, you would do well to try to pick up on that, increase a little bit your self-awareness of what seems to be my strengths and weaknesses in negotiation. Some negotiation training will help you understand which of your skills will help you and which will hinder you in a negotiation or more often than not. Again, there are no absolutes in negotiation, yeah? It's not a, a, an exact science. But there are things that more often than not, we know where it will go. And so if you present, if you have that self-awareness, then you start to develop a personal approach to your negotiations that respects who you are and therefore brings your best person while still staying somewhat in your comfort zone. Because while we want to push you a bit out of your comfort zone, we don't want to push you too much out of it because pushing you too much out of your comfort zone probably will induce you into more mistakes than you need to run. So we want to push just a bit that deliberate practice so that we keep on improving, but not too much that we get you out of your strength set, so your strength zone, and therefore make you underperform. That's really interesting because that was one of my follow-up questions, actually, how much of it is about developing a personal uh, style when it comes to negotiation. I think the toolbox is great for giving you the fundamentals, the ideas, the frameworks, I suppose, to work. But I think what you just said is really interesting in that, you know, push yourself to think outside maybe that box to suit your environment, your style, your personality. Yeah, so let me jump in quickly here. Because I, I have a little pet peeve with the word style. <laughs> so <laughs> so I want you to adjust to your skill set, uh, your strengths and weaknesses. I don't want you to develop a style. So let me explain the difference. Going back to the metaphor of art, you like more certain kinds of brushes and you prefer certain kinds of colors when you do your paintings. But if that becomes too much of your style, if tomorrow you need to do So let's say the classical painter has to do an abstract painting. So for example, I'm very good negotiating from a position of power. I've always been in a company that was a big company, dominated the industry. So everyone wanted to talk to me. I had lots of power, money, reputation. And then suddenly I I, I move into another company where I make more money. So it's better for me for whatever reason. 
but I'm in a smaller company, which doesn't have too much reputation or market access. And, and part of the goal is for me to make that happen in there. I need to appreciate that I cannot negotiate the exact same way. And if I developed after 10 years in this first company, a style of certain arrogance and, and prepotence and, and the ability to just demand things from people and they would do it because they needed me or they were after my big company assets. If I'm now in a small company, I cannot behave the same way. So if I develop a style, I actually narrowed my ability. And that's one, once again, the difference between a pure talented negotiation, just experienced, and someone who is trained and develop expertise. Why? The pure talented and just experienced negotiator, they're gonna be very much shaped by their experience only, and only stay in that narrow zone of their experience. So the moment they go into a different environment in a different context, they're likely to underperform. Whereas if you are someone who leverages your talent and experience with some layer of training and deliberate practice, that means you become, a again, an aware negotiator who recognizes the changes of context and will have the breadth of negotiation techniques and toolbox to create a new approach if you find yourself in a different context. So, of course, I'm the first one to say adjust to, your, to you, who you are as a foundation, but don't narrow yourself into a single style. You can have preferences. Everyone has preferences. That's fine. But don't feel like, oh, I only negotiate one way. I only negotiate from this position because life will throw into different positions and ways and you will have to work with it as well. So it's a mix of adjusting to yourself and adjusting to the context. And you need to, if I dare say, negotiate between the two as well, yourself and the context. I think that it underlines a very important uh, part of what a negotiation is and it's about creating connections and relationships with a person now that could be over a tea over a glass of wine it could be you know doing a sauna with someone in finland i don't know how important is that act of creating a relationship a bond a connection to whatever it may be it, when it comes to a negotiation very fair question thank you lots of people would argue that Trust is the most important thing in a negotiation. And I actually disagree with that. You can have fantastic negotiations without trust, and those happen every day in the world. That said, relationship is very important. And if I can build trust, of course, it makes my life easier. And there's something that I believe it's even more important that layers on the idea of trust and relationship. So it's very related. It's like it's, it's something very similar, which I call the license to persuade. Okay, so what is the license to persuade? Imagine I'm walking down the streets. I don't tend to dress up very well. I'm kind of a sloppy dresser. I don't care much, so I put whatever is the first thing on my drawer and I just get out. Sometimes things clearly do not match, but I just don't. Like I'm the kind of guy who might walk around with two different kinds of socks, that kind of thing. If someone comes in the streets and look at me and say, dude, like you look horrible, you're dressed horrible. I'm like, don't care. Not my problem. And I will continue moving on because that person doesn't have the license to persuade me. I don't know you. I don't know your intentions. I don't know how you think. I don't know if you care about me. I just then, why should I be persuaded by you? If I'm about to leave the house and my wife goes, uh-uh, no, no, too much. Like you're already off the, the, the grid, but this is just way too much. You shouldn't do it. Now, my, my wife has the license to persuade me because I know her intentions are to help me. 
I know she cares about me. And I know that if she's trying to change my mind, it's not just to benefit her. Of course, she doesn't want to go out with someone who's dressed in a way that is too negatively impressive. But I know that she also cares for me and she's trying to do something that is also good for me. And so my wife has the license to persuade me. So when I'm trying to help my clients or teach my students to negotiate better, and when I'm talking about this relationship aspect that you mentioned being so important, I try to help them understand that trust and relationship is a means to obtaining this license to persuade. There are a couple of other things you can work in it as well, but just to keep it short, if I feel that I did not build, I did not obtain from you the license to persuade you, then no matter how much data I bring you. So for example, that happens a lot in the pharmaceutical industry. When they negotiate with governments, they bring a lot of data and trials to the governments. The problem is that the governments just don't trust them anymore. Just assume that they are liars. Some might be, I know of many that are not. And therefore what happens? No matter how much data you bring, I just think your data is fake, is a lie. So piling up more data to persuade me will not persuade me, will just annoy me because I just don't believe where it comes from. So you don't have the license to persuade me. So instead of bringing more data, what you should do as a negotiator, stop and say, let me share with you how my data is legit. Let me share with you how am I bringing everything I can. Let me help you understand I am not here to screw you. I'm not here to take advantage of you. I'm here to help you get what you want, and I, of course, I also want to get what I want. I'm not going to lie about that, otherwise you would also not trust me once again. So as you can see, the trust is a layer or a tool for you to obtain that license to persuade. Now, do you need that in some very, very small negotiations? Maybe not, but the bigger it becomes, the more distant you are, the more of an ask you're making the other person have to go through, the more you need that license to persuade. And the problem is that you may obtain it and then halfway through the negotiation, if you misbehave, you may lose it. And then you have to rework it again. So a, a wise negotiator on that dimension will be very attuned to this thing. Did I obtain the license to persuade before I try to persuade? And then as I'm trying to persuade, am I making moves that are so aggressive or weird or against the other person that might actually make my license expire early or even be taken from me? You've touched upon something which is very important, which underlines a lot of what you teach here at INSEAD uh, with regards to negotiation. You mentioned about not going too far, um, getting what you want, but also what the other person wants. You speak a lot about win-win scenarios in negotiation. People often think of a win-lose, but that's not a good thing in your, from your experience in your teaching. So win-lose, for me, the definition of win-lose is whenever you try to use power to get what you want. And win-win is whenever you try to get what you want without using power. It doesn't mean that both of us will get what we want, but at least the way I'm approaching things, because remember, I don't control the outcome, but I do control how I behave. So when we look at negotiation, the, the, the more uh, pragmatic way of being successful is not thinking win-lose, win-win outcome, is thinking win-lose, win-win choice. And the choice is, am I gonna try to get what I want through power or not? So when you say, oh, win-lose is bad, well, at the end of the day, win-lose happens. Sometimes if my kid, if I, my kid was one year old and he was crying a lot, I'll just kind of give him a pacifier and that's that. Just shut up, right? Or maybe I'll just, and, and then he won. He, he yelled and cried until I gave in. So that was 
he using his power to get things about it works in the army it works like you go and you attack through the right side now and people go and there's not a lot of debate on that one because maybe if there is then you lose precious seconds and the opportunity is gone so there are moments in which win lose is, is very very appropriate and so much so that we've lived centuries of majority win-lose negotiations around us but in the last 50 years we've been learning a lot more about win-win and this idea of trying to get things done with people without using power notice it's not that you don't have power we all have power it's just you're choosing not to use it and we are finding more and more that the more we do this in more and more different instances we get superior results Notice it's not in all instances. In some instances, win-lose still work very well. And especially if you have a massive power advantage over the counterparty, win-lose can work wonders. That said, more and more, uh, you do win-win. You try to convince people, persuade, influence people without the use of power to get what you want. Usually also invites them to get what they want. And that, that quid pro quo, that kind of give and take of sorts, tend to help people buy into what you're trying to do and not resist you. And by not resisting you, they're more likely to open the doors to help you get what you want as well. And that's why win-win tends to be superior. People don't waste time and energy trying to stop each other, but rather they invest that time and energy in trying to help each other get what they want. And in doing so, they usually reveal information that allows them to get even more for one, without making it worse for the other, or maybe even making it better for the other as well. Not only that, that creates more satisfaction, that creates stronger bonds between the parties. I have a pleasant experience with you, which means we're more likely to get together again. So instead of burning bridges, we're opening doors and windows and creating more possibilities for the future. What are the dangers of not being uh, someone who's going to learn? What are the dangers of not learning how to be a good negotiator? I, I, I'm a big believer in choice theory. Where we, most of us live in free countries or at least semi-free countries. And if you choose not to invest in that part of your life, it's fine. Meaning some people will choose not to worry about how to invest their money. Others will not worry about, not worry about how to improve as uh, a relationship person to their par partners or, their, to, or be, how to become a better parent to their kids. We have choice. There, there are all sorts of different value levers that we have in life. And so if you decide not to, many people can still live a happy life. If I were to make a case though, because of what we said at the beginning of this conversation, since negotiation impacts so many areas of your life, it impacts how happy people are around you because if you deal with them in more win-win, they're gonna be happy. It impacts the value you bring home because if you're better at negotiation, you're more, you're, you're more likely to get the things you want. So it impacts your happiness, impacts the happiness of those around you, impacts how much value or we can say even money you get. It can help how you shape your career. It can help how successful you are with your projects or your engagements. And so there's so many aspects of your life that can be improved through negotiation that I wouldn't say that you will be hurt by not learning, but you're going to miss a massive opportunity to improve yourself as a human being and as a professional. Horatio, that's actually a perfect way to finish. Thank you so much for all of that. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for the opportunity. And thank you to our audience for listening in. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to find out more about negotiation at INSEAD, please feel free to click on the links in the podcast description. Thank you very much and see you next time.